Hey guys, it's Chris and Joe again. Just wanting to remind you this episode, we have a little bit of patchy audio, but it will be improved on the next coming week. We also have an exciting guest coming that episode, and we hope you're looking forward to that. Um, Thanks again for bearing through us with um, the Where the Wild Things Are episode. Um, And once again, we've gotten this fixed. So yay, keep yelling at us about titles that you want to see or hear us cover. Uh, Yeah. Thank you for your patience. Also, have you seen Gloria Bell yet? You should do that. Thanks for listening. Oh, that's a good call. Uh-oh, wrong house. No, the right well, house. I didn't get We want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada Water. County. It's about this time last year his daddy passed away. He's still real messed up over it. There are no strangers. You're not that Wilson is a fortune teller, are you? I don't call myself that. You think we'll live happily ever after? There are no secrets. What's the matter? You see something bad? Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast whose personalities are represented in an oversized amiable bird and a depressed goat. Every week on This Had Oscar Buzz, we'll be talking about a different movie that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another, it all went wrong. The Oscar hopes died and we're here to perform the autopsy. I am your host, Chris File, and I'm here as always calling my Miss Cleo, my co-host, Joe Reed. What is your birthday and the last four digits of your social security number? Okay, so I feel like we're going to turn, with this episode, we're going to turn Miss Cleo into like one of our recurring names that we bring up on random <laughs> episodes, because we had a whole like Miss Cleo thing for how to make an American quilt. I feel like I've referenced Miss Cleo another time. How dare you? That was Monet Exchange's perfect uh, Maya Angelou impersonation. No, I totally, we talked <laughs> I, about Miss Cleo as well. I know, but that, because to, we did, because to me her impersonation of Maya Angelou like infringes upon the edges of Miss Cleo. <laughs> Yes. If these hoes try to come for me, <laughs> I surely will cut thee. I will not hesitate to put thou in a ditch because Maya Angelou ain't no punk bitch. I don't think that the culture really understands how, like, wonderful and crazy Miss Cleo was. As a, it was a, a moment. Like, yeah. I always... I always watch that scene in um, Reality Bites. So over the summer, I uh, screened Reality Bites for a couple of friends of ours. Um, and they're younger than me because all my friends are fucking younger than me. It's the curse. It's my weird little like Greek curse or whatever, where it's just like I'm doomed to wander the earth with friends younger than me, always reminding me how fucking old I am. Um, so we're watching Reality Bites, and like all, I'm just like, so this is when it's in the 90s people smoked it's basically just like that was half the movie for me it's like you don't understand in the 90s nobody had a job it was totally cool and um people made jokes about maxi pads and smoked all the time like that was um but oh so there's that scene towards the end where like lelena gets really depressed and everything has fallen apart for her and she's just like lying on the couch for days on end racking up insane phone bills calling the miss cleo line 
And I was just like, that's, you, I was like, you don't understand. That was legitimately a thing. There were multiple competing psychic hotlines, like back when hotlines were a thing, that people yeah. would just sort of call in and talk to either this fraud, who was probably, her name was probably just like Angela from Ronkonkoma or whatever, and yeah. she's just like put on a little like head wrap or whatever, or it was uh, Dionne Warwick's psychic friends. Or and Cher, I right, think, also Warwick. had like a thing. It was Cher had one. Cher definitely had an infomercial. I can't remember whether hers was. She had multiple infomercials, rather. I I know one of them was for hair care, but I know, don't know if another one of them was for a psychic or not. Definitely Dion Warwick. Dion Warwick, for an entire generation of Gen X people, is only known for being a celebrity who endorsed a psychic phone uh, phone hotline like it's there's no there's no say a little prayer for you there's whatever it's just that which is funny because the generation after that only knows her for or maybe it's not a generation maybe it's just like the four or five gay people i know who like made memes out of celebrity apprentice but only know her for saying i got your number hussy to nikki taylor on the celebrity apprentice and i know we can't enjoy the time we spent with the celebrity apprentice anymore and it's a tragedy but like Dionne Warwick. Dionne Warwick fully said, "I got your number, hussy," to Nikki Taylor, and it was the greatest moment in the history of reality television. It was so good. Was Hi, so we're good. talking about the gift. <laughs> Hi, yes, we're talking about you know a, a, a psychic movies and the gift. Um, it's Sam. It's directed by Sam Raimi, famously starring Kate Blanchett. This is post Kate Blanchett's Oscar nomination for Elizabeth when it was like. It, I don't know if it was that they didn't know what to do with her. Oh, they or, just had they had too like, many options to do, to do with her. Yeah, had too many options, or like they knew what to do with her, and it was all boring. Uh, but we'll get into it. They um, had a lot to do with her. That was the thing about Kate Blanchett after that Oscar nomination is just like go forth and be in everything, and also nothing because like none of them had a cultural imprint, imprint whatsoever. That's fair. Um, but yes, it's also uh, written by Billy Bob Thornton and Tom Epperson. It's semi supposed to be loosely like inspired <laughs> yeah. by Billy Bob Thornton's psychic mother. So maybe Billy Bob Thornton's mom was one of Dionne Warwick's, you know, psychic friends. Um, film also stars Giovanni Ribisi. Boy, does it ever! Um, Greg Kinnear, <laughs> Katie Holmes, Hilary Swank, Keanu Reeves, um, Kim Dickens, who we love. Love Kim Dickens did not love her hair, her hairstyle in this movie, which is, I want to say, two perms too many. Maybe that's what that hairstyle is. It's just sort of like had too much free time in the afternoon and decided to go to the hairstylist, even though she didn't really have to. If you want that hair, you can go to any stylist and just ask for a Louisiana friend, and they'll know exactly what you're talking about. Um, can we talk about Giovanni Ribisi for one second in the in the framework, in the rubric of uh, proto-Ben Foster? Like, did, oh, did yeah. Giovanni Ribisi walk so that Ben Foster could run? Is that sort of... Am I, I not... think Giovanni Ribisi talked so Ben Foster could... Uh, could grunt? Could, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's not about yeah. Giovanni Ribisi is definitely the hyperverbal ben, yeah. ben Foster with words. That's the perfect way of putting it. But I also feel like Ben Foster got a lot more respect than Giovanni Ribisi. Ben Foster still doesn't get like he still hasn't ever been an Oscar nominee, even though he's had like Oscar nominations adjacent to him a lot actually in his career. Woody Harrelson for The Messenger, um, Hell or High Water gets a whole bunch of stuff. 
And but I also feel like I still feel like Ben Foster has a a place of respect, at least maybe among a certain subset of of film people. That Giovanni yeah. Ribisi was still just sort of like Phoebe's brother from Friends, and that weird sort of twitchy guy from that one episode of The X Files, and never fully like broke out of that. Even like in Avatar, he was like the worst part of Avatar. He was the one part of Avatar that even people who were like all about Avatar and would not understand you when you're yeah. like nobody cares about that movie, and you're just like yeah, but Giovanni Ribisi's character, and they're like yeah, he's a terrible character. Like we can't yeah. defend that. And poor Giovanni Rubisi for that because he probably worked for like two days on Avatar. Yeah, I, um, I mean he's he's an actor. He's a, he's a singular actor. You know what I mean? Like not every actor yeah. can say that they've like fully carved out a niche that is fully their own, and he has. And good for him. Good for Giovanni Rubisi. <laughs> we have pivoted to being a good for Giovanni Rubisi. I know. I keep podcast. taking us far afield. There's not a whole lot to say about The Gift, I have to say. Like, I mean, there is. But, like, as a movie, for a movie that I don't think has ever been forgotten, like, it's not like people go, like, oh, The Gift, and people are like, oh, I haven't th- hadn't thought about that movie in 15 years or whatever. People still, like, sort of remember it, partly because Sam Raimi hasn't made a whole lot of movies that aren't Spider-Man or The Evil Dead. So, like, this is mm-hmm. part of that, like, small handful of, like, other Sam Raimi movies, which is kind of interesting. Um, but I don't I know if seeing this movie a ton on like VHS or like early DVDs when it first came out. Yeah, at like um, premium I cable. My mom yeah, liking this movie. Yeah, but it's also like it's kind of interesting that for the first time in what feels like a while, we're doing a movie that, despite all evidence to the contrary, is a movie that does not exist. Um. So I'm kind of excited to get it's, into that. It's wild to me. My Within the first 15 minutes of that movie, maybe even less, my first note was, I can't believe we ever bought into this movie as an Oscar player. Like, Oh, yeah, because this movie's trash. It's, it's trash. It's like deep, like swampy Southern Gothic. And not even like The Paperboy, which was like gross, swampy Southern Gothic, but in that arty way where you can be like, yeah, yeah I could see how That's this would play can. Like, this movie is just, like, pop boiler, southern gothic, um, supernatural, ghosts and murders, like... I can kind of buy into it because there's a certain level of this movie where it kind of turns and becomes, like, a courtroom drama. So it's, like, and it's very southern, so you can kind of imagine how it's, like, this movie could have been sold as, like, John Grisham, but a psychic. Yeah, you know? with that, there is that... that portion of the movie definitely made me think of that when we get to like michael jeter as the like drippingly insincere defense wait he's the defense right he's the defense attorney because he's trying to defend keanu yeah and like the 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 courtroom scenes are filmed in this very sort of like lazy late afternoon kind of lighting and there's the like the thing that did bug me which i mean it's 2000, so it's it should have known better. But this idea that, like, the Confederate flag is hanging in the courtroom and there's these, like, signifiers throughout the movie where, like, Keanu's character, who's, like, definitely the bad guy, will, like, drop these racial slurs or whatever. And it's like, okay, we're getting to into territory of using the South's 
vile history of racism as like local color while at the same time having no actual black characters in this movie to articulate anything for themselves and -hmm. it's like i it did make me feel a little bit better that like you probably i mean i say this the day recording this the day after green book won the oscar but i still don't feel like you could get away with quite that in 2019 yes and we will get into it but before we get too deep into the movie Joseph, would you be willing to give us a 60-second plot description? Yes, I'm going to do especially bad at this one. I, I genuinely generally do bad at this, but I'm going to... I have be... reached into the future, and I can see that you're going to do very well at this. Yeah, yeah. The cards are telling me. Okay. Are you ready? Sure. All right, your 30, your 60-second plot description begins now. All right, so Kate Blanchett plays this woman who lives in the South. I, I genuinely don't even know which state. It's just Alabsippi, Georgia, whatever, Um, in a swampy area. She plays Annie. She's a psychic. Her husband has recently died. Her children all sort of, like, vaguely resent her in this Aaron Brockovichian kind of a way. Um. But she has been getting uh, this local woman named Valerie, Hillary Swank with a mullet, comes to her and she needs help because her husband's beating her. But, like, there's only so much Kate Blanchett can do because she's fucking seconds. psychic. She's not a cop. She also has, like, this weird little, like, crush on uh, Greg Kinnear, who plays this, like, local, I want to say politician, maybe. Um, and he's got a young wife na- uh, Kate, played by Katie Holmes who ends up dead. And there's a mystery. And we think Keanu Reeves did it because he's Hillary Swank's bad husband. And also Giovanni Ribisi's around and he is this like mentally disturbed guy so maybe he did it and kate keeps getting more and more visions and ultimately she's going to figure out who did it and it's a big like supernatural mystery and that's time Okay. okay so one thing that i do think as we mentioned it's written by billy bob thornton and his co-writer and then directed by sam raimi i think like at the two years after a simple plan it should be mentioned that like sam raimi sam raimi and billy bob thornton Combined for Sam Raimi's to date only real flirtation with the Oscars, where Billy Bob got a supporting actor nomination. I'm pretty sure that got a screenplay nomination. A simple plan. Uh, I if, believe so. If it didn't, it should have because like it was a really well regarded movie that year. Honestly, that's one of those movies that I wonder if '98 had a top ten. A simple plan might have been a contender to end up on that top 10 i think it was a really really well-reviewed movie at the time yeah i mean i think also some of this and especially how this movie would have been packaged particularly as an oscar player from paramount classics rest in peace um is through billy bob thornton's screenwriting rent win for sling blade also um, that yes very much in the vein, same vein even like outside of the um like supernatural element if you want to call it that or the esp of it all it does deal with like similar themes of like abuse in the south yeah um and in a way i think like at the conclusion of this movie it kind of has the opportunity to like reveal itself as about a bunch of toxic masculinity and male bullshit but like i don't think it's directed by sam raimi all that well in a way that's interested in like a thematic i think it's just like he turns it into this like pot boiler with some supernatural elements yeah and i think one of the things that characterizes sam raimi as a director is that he can hop genres from like one to one where he's been able to do you know horror onto superhero movies to um 
what was the Western he did? The Quick and the Dead, which is actually yeah. like, it's, it's an interesting movie as a genre movie because of the ways that it kind of diverges from, you know, the genre tropes. And mm-hmm. so I think that's sort of part of his charm is that like, he doesn't always fully get the genre and be the, the movie that you get as a result is a little bit more interesting because of it. And it's not that he doesn't get the genre, but he doesn't always conform to the genre. Do you know what I mean? Yes, absolutely. So I think with the gift, you have these sort of like these rules and regs for, for Southern Gothic and supernatural in this way. And the movie becomes this character study, I guess, even though I, I mean, how deep do we really go into Annie's character in this movie? Really? Almost not at all. And she's kind of like, Like, do we ever find out what happened to her husband? Uh, she it's all very vague right yeah it's semi-vague about like how he actually died it might have been i don't know like a lot of this is about men as abusers right and but like she has this like wonderful husband who died and it's like she feels kind of really detached with what the movie is trying to say yeah and she just feels like this protagonist that's supposed to like bring magic to everything well and it's also about like because the movie's called the gift and it's about like this is you know her psychic ability is you know a gift to her and we find out through the movie that's one of the things i guess we find out towards the end of the movie is you know a lot of the times this this ability comes off as a curse to her because it gets her in trouble it puts her in the crosshairs of Keanu's character um but ultimately it's a gift because it ends up being the thing that saves her by the end but like it is it's characterized in this sort of like family um it's you know it's a it's an ability that was passed down from her grandmother and she gets like the vision of her grandmother at one point played by Rosemary Harris Rosemary Harris in like one scene and it's like wow you're gonna go to the trouble of casting Rosemary Harris who would you know two years later show up in Raimi's uh, Spider-Man as And like really she only serves the purpose to show up and be like, Hi sweetheart, I'm a ghost. Hi and sweetheart, then... I'm a ghost. And like and it doesn't it, not even like here's a clue. Like you almost expected her to like give her a clue to like what this mystery is, but she's just sort of just like, Hey hun, like you really are a psychic fine. and like look yeah. to the trees or whatever. She maybe even said look to the trees, so maybe that was a clue. Um but it's mostly just to remind the audience that this gift of hers comes from her grandmother. But, like, that's sort of as far as the movie goes when it gets into, yeah. like, investigating Annie's sort of family situation. It really is – there's a lot of surface to this movie. It really is a very plotty movie. It's about, like, her trying to figure out who killed Katie Holmes. But it's also not – a detective movie. It's not an investigative movie. She never actually goes and like attempts to solve it. She just sort of waits for the vision that's going to tell her to solve it. And in the meantime, she frets and she's under threat and she's nervous and she, you know, goes to people for help, but she doesn't like, it's not like she's trying to solve this murder in between visions. Right. And like you mentioned, like the threat to her, which really only comes from, Keanu Reeves until the that's end like yeah. breaking in her house and like literally threatening her because like he thinks that she's of Satan and like Hillary Swank is going to her for advice whatever yeah. but like 
even when like she's on the stand, like obviously there's this bias against her, and she's like, yeah, but it ju- it just doesn't work that way sometimes. So it's like it, her actual gift yeah. is never really at odds with the plot of right. anything, other than like she just can't figure out who killed Katie Holmes. There's some interesting stuff throughout the movie about how women who essentially like tell the patriarchy things that they don't want to hear or offer help to the people the patriarchy doesn't want to see helped that end up getting called witches and being sort of like brushed off as crazy or whatever we're like that's that's she gets discredited in this movie by Keanu and by whoever else wants to discredit her as either a witch, like a legitimate witch, which, you know, you look at the surroundings and it's just like, oh, yeah, like I could see in this part of the South, they would probably still like, you know, kill a woman for being a witch or whatever. Or she's just like fully discredited by Michael Jeter as the lawyer in the courtroom scenes. And there's there's some decent, you know, themes there. And just in terms of like the way women are shut up essentially we're like all yeah. Kate Blanchett wanted to do was help Hillary Swank get out of this terrible abusive relationship and because nobody else in town is interested in being the person you know in is interested in helping Hillary Swank's character the person who does is is branded as all of these sort of horrible things and yeah but that's such and a minor theme to the movie. The Sam Raimi thing is that like none of this is developed in anything. Yeah. I mean, it's barely even a surface level thing. Like it's right. us kind of reading into it, and like this is like what we find interesting about the text of it, what the screenplay has. But I don't even know if a screenplay really dives into it all that well. Well, but it does. Like, if it, it had a female director, maybe, and it's not maybe. to say that a male director couldn't do it better than Sam Raimi but like I think especially a female director would be able to pick up on those things and make that what the movie is about Um, right it would tie it closer because you look at like it also ties into the Giovanni Ribisi character right who is telling the truth the whole movie and not even Kate Blanchett realizes it like he where he's sort of like babbling on and on about like this blue diamond or whatever and if I look into a blue diamond will I go to hell is that the question he asks something like that yeah, basically. And, and we don't find out till like the third reel that or the whatever the third act. I don't know. People there's that metaphor about reels. I never quite know. The final reel like whatever. <laughs> final reel. The third act. The third reel is probably very soon into the movie if you talk to a projectionist. I don't know. I don't yes. care whatever. Um that we find out that he had been like sexually abused by his father and his father had this tattoo of a blue diamond and it is all very like sad but also like horrific and gross and this you know very like extreme too because like when he has this freak out Kate Blanchett is like sent to his house and Giovanni Ribisi sets his abusive father on On fire fire. yeah um but it also but that 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 is also about sort of like the the silencing of of abuse victims and things like that so like I guess you could you could say that's a theme but it just doesn't ever feel like it ties up in any kind of artistic or theme way because the movie is just so plotty yeah yeah which is fine it's not a i didn't i wasn't uninterested in the movie i just don't i've I've never felt that the gift is as satisfying as i want it to be i want this movie to be either way way grotier than it is or 
a really sort of like tight, taut, like plot kind of a thing where a thriller. Yeah. And it's end uh, ends up being neither. Everything with her and Kinnear by the end is really flabby. The Katie Holmes stuff comes and goes and that character is such a ultimately such a cipher, such a like, you know, woman yeah. in distress or whatever, which made the marketing of the movie super gross because the marketing of the movie in these very sort of like whisper campaign ways were like, oh, this is the movie where like Sweet, innocent Joey Potter, Katie Holmes, like, becomes this sex-pot woman, and you see her tits. And it's so... So icky and gross! It was icky and gross the way it was marketed, for sure. I also remember, like, some gross male, like, bro critics at the time being like, yeah, there's disturbing behavior, but, like, she just looks like she's a sex pot on the poster, but she's not really in the movie all that much. But then, like, this, you see her boobs. And it's like... This uh, this movie came around... Casting of Katie Holmes in this role, and, like, I would understand as a performer, if you're pigeonholed as, like, this overly demure, innocent character, as she was with Dawson's Creek, I would understand wanting to just, like, break down the walls of that. But, like, even the idea of the casting of her in this almost non-role yeah. feels a little offensive. Like, that's actively something they were going for. Right. This well, and I that wouldn't surprise me. Like that, this is going to be casting that's going to get us a little bit of extra attention. This was also around the like heyday of um, that era of the internet, where there were websites where you would go to to find out like what actor gets naked in what movie and to what extent, like that kind of and thing. At what like minute, second point? In right, the movie. like the like the the subplot in Knocked Up, where like all of his friends were like doing a website about like when you see Basically, boobs in movies. Yeah. But it's like that was re- that was real. Like there were websites that were like super obsessed with that kind of a thing because <laughs> it was that thing where like the internet was so sort of like new and in its adolescence or whatever. And because it was yeah. in its adolescence, it was horny as fuck. And we were still trying. We were still sort of like figuring out how the internet was going to make us jerk off better. And one of those things was like pointing us to the tits and dicks in movies that we before would have had to like waste an entire movie watching on cable (laughs) waiting for. And it's just like, Oh no, this is going to be the movie that tells me exactly where Ashton Kutcher's dick is like, okay, I will also watch the movie jerks. (laughs) Just watch the movie. Just watch the movie. Like, yeah. I mean, some movies aren't worth watching the whole thing, but yeah. This is an actual movie. This is an actual real movie. Right. But I'm not going to watch that yeah. whole thing of where Ashton Kutcher and Anne Heche have sex in a pool just to know that I can see his butt at, like, the half hour mark or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, anyway. like, to Katie Holmes, I like, unfortunately, is not even very, like, she's obviously miscast, but... She's like, really she's not good in this movie. This thing of it's like, look at what a devious woman I can be. I am and, sexing, like, Gary Cole in the bathroom, which also gross. Yeah. Ew. I forgot that that was Gary Cole, and when that yeah. scene came up in this movie, I was like, no, no. It reminded me of that scene in Office Space where Ron Livingston has the nightmares about Gary Cole, like having sex with Jennifer Aniston on the desk or whatever, where he's just, like, bored and drinking coffee and whatnot. And it just was just, like, nobody nobody envisions a good sex scene with Gary Cole, apparently, except for, I guess, the good fight. The good fight has really uh, broke new ground in Gary Cole sexiness, so good for that show. Yeah. 
I what mean, did we think of Keanu in this movie? He's genuinely, he's in the annals of miscast, miscast Keanu, Southern, uh, and or um, English characters. I think of like, I always think of like The Devil's Advocate and Bram Stoker's Dracula as the two movies where he's just the most egregiously out uh, miscast. And Budapest. Like, Oh, Budapest. But, like, this movie, it feels like it should be part of that trilogy, and it somehow isn't quite. Like, he... It's not... I mean... He doesn't pull me out of the movie the way I expect him to. I'm more annoyed that he's cast in this role, because, (laughs) like, Keanu Reeves has, like... We've accepted him as, like, cuddly... He's a good guy. quite... Like, he's a good guy. And it's like, if you want to see him play a villain, like, it should maybe be a little bit more subtextual. Yeah. Or, like... Is he know. in the Neon Demon, or am I making things up? He is in the Neon Demon. He's a bad guy in that, right? Yeah, he, like, shows like up and tries to kill her. Lord. Yeah. Ugh, that's a terrible movie. It's... I, I mean, I think some of it works. Um, But, yeah, like, it's such a bummer, man. Like... Keanu Reeves cuddling puppies. We don't want to see him beating doing women. This, yeah, terrorizing Kate Blanchett and her kids. Yeah, yeah. What do we think of this performance by Kate Blanchett? Okay, so like, let's 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 turn the page now and do the the Kate Blanchett of it all because I feel like that's you know a simple plan. Yes, Sam Raimi and Billy Bob Thornton. Yes, but I genuinely feel like ninety percent of the Oscar buzz on this movie was Kate Blanchett was in Elizabeth, nominated for Best Actress for 1998, loses to Gwyneth Paltrow. She had won the Globe for Best Drama because Gwyneth was in comedy. And then Gwyneth pretty easily wins the Oscar. Like, there really was no doubt. I remember people at the time were being like, but Kate Blanchett could. And it's like, no, she couldn't. Come on. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those Oscar losses where immediately thereafter, Jessica Chastain had this too when she lost to... Um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence in Zero Dark Thirty, although she had already sort of like, you know, jumped up the year before, but where it was just like every role thereafter is like, no, this will be the one that does it. She didn't win yeah. for that, but like it's coming. And so Kate Blanchett, people went into overdrive where, and part of it was she got a bajillion roles in the immediate mm-hmm. aftermath. We're like 99, it was Ideal Husband, Pushing Tin, which wasn't ever really an Oscar play, but like made money, be- I remember. Well, and because of, like, the people who were in it, including Billy Bob. Angelina. And Angelina. Yeah, it was a big, like, all these actors are very now. Like, that cast was a very, like, you know, this is what's happening now kind of a thing. And then Ripley. well-received work, but I remember Kate Blanchett getting the best notices for that. But there was also, yes, you just said Ripley, which I didn't get at the time when I was young. But when I watched that movie again, semi-recently, it's like, oh, absolutely, she's incredible. That's one million percent true. I think that's watching Talented Mr. Ripley at age 19 versus watching Talented Mr. Ripley at age 35 was, like, the biggest difference. Where it's just, like, (laughs) I, I... wasn't not I was not ready. It's not like I didn't like it at the time, but I was just like, yeah, okay. And then now, I, every time I watch it again, I'm just like, this movie is fucking brilliant. I don't understand what was going on in 1999 that we couldn't see this. Whether it was like post English patient fatigue, whatever. Fuck everybody for sleeping on this movie. It's the fucking best. Talk about a movie that the internet had 
those whole websites of you can see this penis and this butt. <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, and then 2000 comes along, and it's this and the Sally Potter movie, The Man Who Cried, which, like, The Man Who Cried was sort of always going to be that sort of, you know, artsy-fartsy movie. Whether it was a good one or a bad one, it wasn't ever going to really, like, happen. And I don't know you if... name a movie The Man Who Cried, and it is going no... Like, that is just, like... Yeah. Textbook, like, that's what people think of when they call something Oscar bait with a sneer in their voice. Yeah. And it's Sally Potter. I have to... I've never seen it. It's Sally Potter, so I can't imagine it's worthless. But also, I don't ever think I've ever talked to anybody who's liked it. Mm. So I don't know. And I think that was technically 2001 for the U.S. Because oh, okay. Because 2001 is like the field day. I was going to say, 2001 at all, the, all those ships come in and none of them really land. Yeah, for one like, reason this or another. Is when like critics groups would give her prizes, and it would be for like four performances, five right. performances. Two thousand one's a really interesting spread, though, for her, right? Because like the shipping news is an unmitigated disaster, and then the other side of that spectrum is the Lord of the Rings, which is like a huge Oscar success, but she's not really in it enough to reap that success on an individual level people really like her in the movie she's like a hugely memorable part of it but it's not like her part was big enough to get a supporting actress campaign the way that ian mckellen did right i do think it kind of like crystallized what we would perceive the kate blanchett aura to be at least in the first time after her oscar for a while there yes yeah but then in the middle of those two you had a movie like charlotte gray which was you know, this Gillian Armstrong movie, and she was a spy or perhaps a resistance fighter yeah. in France during it's World War II. It's one of the several Cape Blanchett movies that the poster is just her face, yes. so you can't yes. distinguish them at all. And she got really good reviews for that, but ultimately that was too small. Then Bandits was also 2001, which she got a Golden Globe nomination for, and which is one of, that's a Barry Levinson movie that sort of... I don't think ever really caught on as a popular thing, but I remember critics really liked it, and she is really delightful in it. She plays this sort of, like, flighty married woman, unhappily married woman, who ends up running into encountering both Billy Bob Thornton and Bruce Willis, and they're doing crimes or something like that. It's called Bandits. The only thing I remember from that movie is her chopping vegetables to holding up for a hero. But honestly, <laughs> it's worth it just for that scene. I it's such a great scene. Movie. And then but, it goes like, on and on like from the there. Beginning of all of this because like that's just one year and like really it would kind of take. 2003 feels like a well maybe it's more 2004 like when the Aviator actually happened. So it's like you have several years of shit just like blurring together. But and for, this it was is kind of the beginning of it. Well, it was what it was was every single movie that came down the pike, it was, oh, that's going to be the movie that does it for Kate Blanchett. Like The Gift is, Shipping News is, Charlotte Gray, Heaven, the Tom Tickfer movie, Heaven, that's going to, she, she shaves her head in that movie. Like, you know, that that's physical commitment. Totally it's going to happen. Um, Veronica Guerin, absolutely. She plays, you know, the, her character gets killed, right? That's the whole thing about Veronica Guerin? She's a, yeah. she's a, uh, she's a reporter. She's a and she, yeah, she's like a Karen Silkwood uh, uh, kind the of IRA, scoop. I believe. Yes. 
Joel Schumacher movie. Um, See, the... we're not even like sure of what any of this is. That's exactly what Kate Blanchett 2000 to 2003 the was. The Missing was a big one where it's just like, oh, it's Ron Howard. It's a Western. She's totally going to stand up in that movie. The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou was one of those movies. And you're right. It wasn't until she ends up winning for playing Catherine Hepburn in The Aviator that it paid off. But like, and then from that point, Notes on a Scandal happens, and then she becomes, like, she kind of can't miss for a while. But, like, during that post-Elizabeth pre-Aviator time, we were just grasping at every straw. Mm-hmm. And the gift was Can one of those you, like, straws. make a comparison to somebody that we are so, like, actively looking at in that way? It feels like Kate Blanchett is so dense in this period like, I think we do that with a lot of people. You mentioned Jessica Chastain, and that's totally true. And I think that would follow most things that Jessica Chastain would be cast in. Yeah. But, like, I mean, we just listed a slew of movies in, like, a short amount of time. It's like this overexposed thing, but also the movies weren't that great. Or, like, didn't serve her in any way. Like I mean, we just did that on a very micro level with Saoirse, kind of, right? Where, like, now we all assume that Saoirse's going to win an Oscar at some point because she's been nominated three times and she's only so, you know, you know, 20-whatever, insanely young, 24, 24. And so now we assume that it's going to happen for her, and so now it becomes, like, is this next one the one? And it, like, it sure as fuck wasn't in 2018 with... The Seagull and Chesil Beach and Mary Queen of Scots. But like all three of those things got Oscar buzz and largely because, well, for various reasons, but like one of the big reasons for all of those was because it was Sersha and because mm-hmm. now she's now in that zone of, you know, it's going to happen for her. Amy Adams is the same way. Amy Adams ends up getting nominated for a lot of those things. But like Amy Adams is, it's going to be the rare Amy Adams movie that gets made that you're not at least thinking, is this the one? Is this the one that does it? Is this mm-hmm. the one that's going to win it for her? But at least she's getting nominated for those things. It's not like that. It's I'm trying to think of somebody who is in that Cape Blanchett realm of like, maybe Naomi Watts. Uh... Right? Where like it only really cashes in for her once in a blue moon with like The Impossible or with 21 Grams. But let's look at Naomi Watts's like filmography for a second because... I feel like it's a similar thing where like 2001 Mulholland Drive happens and then look at all these things that she got Oscar buzz for. Ned Kelly, nothing. La Divorce, nothing. She gets a nomination for 21 Grams. We Don't Live Here Anymore. Classic movie that doesn't exist. The Assassination of Richard Nixon. Huckabees, which she's genuinely fantastic and Oscar worthy in. Um, Stay. Stay. Remember Stay, the Mark (laughs) Forster movie? Um, The Painted Veil, which got some, like, got a score nomination. Eastern Promises, which Vigo got nominated, but people fully forget she was in that. The Funny Games remake. The International. Boy, she and Kate both have Tom Tickver movies that that had Oscar buzz that didn't do anything. She was in the... Yes, like, these examples are all true, but, like, the complete density of it in such a few years, like, you're talking about a decade right there, and, like, who listed just as many movies within three years? It's kind of crazy. Um, Oh, I'm not saying that Kate wasn't a special case, but I'm saying if we want to compare somebody somewhat similar... I mean, like, you know... In terms of, like, what the payoff actually was. The Glass Castle. about this period. Demolition. Sea of Trees. Like, Naomi's made... Oh, we should do (laughs) just, like, a month on Naomi Watts. Watts. Yes, we should. 
Uh, I love her so much, but man, she makes some choices. Like, anyway. Anyway. The best for Naomi Watts. I feel like people are mean to Naomi Watts. I don't, I don't want to be. Her best. I know. It's interesting, though, also to look at the gift and the Kate Blanchett Oscar buzz in the guise of that year's Best Actress lineup, which is maybe the... I, I, I mentioned this about the 95 Actress lineup, too, but, like, 2000s Best Actress, with the caveat that, like, nobody was happy with Juliette Binoche being nominated for Chocolat at the time, but, like, it's still fucking Juliette Binoche. Like, yeah. let's not get, look that gift horse in the mouth too much because like it hasn't happened again since so it's julia roberts wins for aaron brockovich one of my favorite oscar wins and oscar speeches of all time but like her competition was ellen burston in requiem for a dream laura linney for you can count on me one of the greatest performances of all time she's so great in that Mm -hmm. movie joan allen for the contender which i remember at the time after a while people sort of like poo-pooed that as sort of a like that movie is not as good as we think it is. It's a little sort of like junky politically or whatever. And she's oh, it's total like junk that's like elevated by the actual actors in that movie. It is. But, it like, is red meat for acting. But Joan Allen is fucking great in that movie. So good. She has that scene where she like for the first time blows up, and it's just like she has to compose herself, and like it's so good. Yeah, and also, okay, and- so I feel like we've talked about this best actress race before and like it's so stacked that i feel like my who my winner would probably change every day well and also you look at the two big performances that were not nominated before we go into that really quickly were also renee zellweger and nurse betty which this was before renee started getting nominated for oscars she was still like why you know why won't the oscars recognize her she was still a year away from bridget jones but she won the Globe for Nurse Betty, and everybody sort of imagines that she was the sixth place one that year. And then that was also the year of Bjork in Dancer in the Dark, who got a Globe nomination for that. Mm. And ends up, you know, singing at the Oscars in the Swan Dress, which that's a whole other thing to talk about. We failed Legend. we failed her, and we failed that dress. Um, but yeah, so anyway, go what, go what you were going to say about that. I was just going to say, it's like... You could, I could conceivably vote for all of these that are not Julia Binoche. Yeah. Um, if yes. Bjork was in there, that would be absolutely insane. I right. feel like right. there was no way that Bjork was going to get in there for that movie, particularly with the kind of headway Ellen Burstyn was getting. Like, you just don't get right. an acting lineup that has two performances that extreme. What? But um, what's funny is Von Trier was kind of a hot hand with the Oscars because he had just recently gotten Emily Watson a Best Actress nomination. Right, for a performance that's almost as extreme, if not right. more. Right. Um, but people kind of approached that movie differently. It wasn't so strange. It was just, like, heavy, you know. It's funny to think of what it, if Melancholia had been made... If Melancholia is the 2000 Von Trier movie and not Dancer in the Dark, does Kirsten Dunst get nominated because Von Trier is seen as more of an Oscar director in 2000 than he was in 2011? I mean... She's a more familiar star giving a more recognizably actory performance. It's a, a... You know, it doesn't... Like, it's not as extreme, but, like, I think a lot of the air in the room is sucked out for, like, you know, something that's out there. 
when you have Ellen Burstyn's Requiem for a Dream performance. That's fair. That's very fair. Like, I just don't, I I think people only have so much tether, particularly at this point in Oscar history. Maybe, like, today, that would be different. In that way that, like, Laura Linney was never going to win for You Can Count On Me because Julia Roberts sort of, like, out, uh, sort of outstruggled her at every turn. Mm -hmm. Where, like, Laura Linney's character was this single mom, and she's sort of... And it's not it's certainly not the same thing as what Julia's doing in Aaron Brockovich at all, but similar similar enough that... I don't know. It's a little too modest of a movie, Probably. I think. Probably. I mean, like, I just... As incredible as she is in that movie, I don't know if a lot of people get leading Oscars for performances like that. Yeah. She still would have been my vote. Also, it's insane to me that Ruffalo doesn't get nominated for that. And if he was all, if he had already been a name going into that movie, he probably would have. He came close, probably as it was. I mean, if they put him in supporting, he oh, you think that's you yeah. think that's the the determining factor? I think factor? he was campaigned for supporting because I feel. Oh, like see, I, I thought he was campaigned for Laura Linney saying that it was crazy that he was in support to her and that they were both. They both had equal share in the movie. That's funny because I always thought that he was uh, he was campaigned for lead. Hold on, let me look it up. You keep talking, and I'll look it up. Um, I mean, back to Kate Blanchett of it though. Like, yeah. it's not inconceivable looking at what the spread of this year is that there could have been a genre bias here because you do have like popular thriller movies like this is the year of gladiator you even have like willem dafoe getting in for a horror film or like an artsy horror film but a horror film yeah that's a good performance okay so here's what i'm finding is ruffalo gets an independent spirit nomination as a lead um gets chicago film critic and boston film critic runner-up citations as a lead and but also like other certain critics places are putting him as supporting wins Montreal World Film Festival as a lead. So I think mostly it was a lead, but I think there was enough confusion that it didn't help. Yeah. Anyway. It's also, that was the same distributor as The Gift. It's Paramount Classics, which they didn't stick around that long, and it's one of their first years. So it's like, sometimes there's only so much bandwidth that a small, newer studio can really put out there. And they probably put all of their effort towards rightly you can count on me though they also had um the virgin suicides that year that like got nothing and should have yeah that's at least like being pushed you you always sort of feel bad it's that push pull of i loved the era of big studio like indie shingles like this was be the beginning of i think focus kind of birthed that where it's like Fox Searchlight, Warner Independent, Paramount Classics. When eventually it would become Paramount Vantage. Um, what what ones am I missing? Am I missing any? I don't think so. But like though, and those all ended USA up being films was right, the which would become focus. focus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but sometimes you're right. They would have if one had too many to choose from Fox searchlight always ended up with this problem where Fox searchlight would end up with what was their 2004 where it was like, what, what ended up crowding out Huckabee's the year that Fox searchlight. Cause did they have sideways? No, 
Uh, yes, it was sideways. Okay, that's what it was. So it was. But people also didn't like Huckabees. Let's be real about that. No, I know. Listen, let me have my fantasy <laughs> where if sideways didn't exist, I heard Huckabees would have captured the nation. Like Huckabees, but Huckabees didn't even get great reviews. It got okay reviews, but you're right. No, people didn't get it. People still don't get it. People still talk about how that movie is so in like impenetrable and whatever. And I want to like, that's crazy. Knock them on the head. Anyway, it's a gift. comedy, people. That's all you need to know. You should be laughing at this. Um, <laughs> it's about quality, not quantity. We're, not We're private right about our seven minutes of heaven. Eight minutes of heaven. It's not quality. It's quantity. <laughs> Exactly. Um, also, quick shout out while we're while I mentioned, you know, there's a bunch of genre stuff going on this year that like the gift could have like not been deterred by that. Guess what got a nomination this year? Best makeup nominee, The Cell. Shout out to Weird Gays Who Love the yeah. Cell. Yeah. Was this also the same year as What Lies Beneath? Uh, yes, I do believe so. Which what did What Lies Beneath? get didn't they get a I'm, I'm did it get something here. i don't think it got anything i don't think it but got anything either an incredible visual effects nominee yeah it should have been also that was like rick baker makeup and stuff like that like it was hold on let's see if it got anything what lies michelle pfeiffer would have been a great nominee for best yeah. actress it got nothing it got straight up nothing from the oscars which is it did get three blockbuster entertainment award nominations oh and two oh, wins pfeiffer and harrison ford swept the best acting in a suspense movie category for actress and actor so there we go um that would be an interesting little like double feature the gift and what lies beneath together i kind of feel like like if we were ever like packaging episodes together and did like a mega episode the gift kind of belongs in with charlotte gray and veronica garen as the like what is this kate blanchett thing that's happening this package okay but that happens the weekend after heaven and the missing and uh the shipping news <laughs> we could just program an entire season of kate blanchett oscar misses we're going to be hosting a festival of Kate Blanchett films from 2000 to 2004. Did we talk about this when David Sims was on the show, when we had him on talking about Alexander, about how in those like early days of Oscar Watch message boards... Oh, yeah, the factions of like what tribe did you belong and to? And so this was the big era of the Kate Blanchett faction forming. It basically formed in reaction to her losing for, uh, for Elizabeth, but... It was like this was when like this her fans would come out in full force and like this is why she's gonna get nominated for the gift. This is why she's gonna get nominated for heaven. And it's just like, oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, the Kate Blanchett ones were like the really heavy fans. Like I'm trying to think of This any- is what I had instead of like uh Ariana Grande psychos or whatever, like the fucking Rihanna army. Like this is what it's kind of like the Carly Rae Jepsen army a little bit in that it's like, like yes, we get it. The work is good, but where are your receipts <laughs> for mainstream attention? Um, yeah. Like, I get it. She's great. We love her, but like, she's not the only thing that exists. But that's exactly what the Kate Blanchett stands were like. Because the other factions were like Nicole Kidman 
Julianne Moore. Right. You had like the two people in the background that were like, Renee Zellweger! I know. <laughs> before getting like cyberbullied off the face of the internet. Well, and, okay, um, so here's also what's funny about that is because there were these factions that were like the Blanchett factions, the Kidman faction, the Annette Benning faction, the Merrill fans. And like, look at who. I feel like Merrill at this era, though, didn't have like the crew the horde of no she didn't because she was no it was julianne it was actually julianne it was kate nicole julianne and annette i feel like we're the we're kind of the big four which faction did you belong to if i didn't really i I hopped to a lot of different ones i remember i would have had allegiance i'm a merrill fan i'm a merrill fan i'm a winslet fan you know what i mean like i'm like but, yeah. lo- but look at who won Best Actress during that whole stretch, right? Kidman won for the hours in 2002. So, like, maybe set that aside. But I'll, it's Swank twice, Charlize Theron, Halle Berry, Julia Roberts. None of those women. Julia comes closest. But, like, nobody online loved Julia Roberts. Nobody was, like, a giant Julia Roberts fan. Right. And all of those other women, Swank, Halle Berry, Theron, were all viewed as... Theron and Barry were, like, pretty actresses who, like, slummed it in Oscar bait once and got and and got Oscars for essentially, like, like going going ugly, going... They de-glammed, right? That whole thing. We're, like... Right. It took forever for Charlize Theron to get respect from the Oscar-watching crowd because they all assumed that Monster was a fluke of, oh, she put on ugly makeup and she gained weight and that's why she won an Oscar. And and Swank is like the great boogeyman of Oscar watchers where it's like she still Swank should have been like the uniting factor for all of these factions. But like, really, it just divided everyone further. Well, because she beat Benning twice. She beat uh, Kate Winslet for Eternal Sunshine. Like you can sort of look back and see why Swank didn't win any fans because she was like she was she showed up at these like incredibly crucial like. Annette Bening for American Beauty, for as all that we can say about American Beauty, that probably should have been her Oscar. That's the closest she's yeah. ever come to being the best in a category. I think Annette Bening's fantastic. Thing in that movie, for sure. For sure. Um, but then Hilary Swank shows up with this debut performance that's even better and that fully like takes away all of that shine. And then 2004, Kate Winslet for Eternal Sunshine in the Spotless Mind, whether or not she ever had a real chance to win, that's... I think her best performance. I think it's her yes. best of her nominated performances for sure. And that Swank won that year for Million Dollar Baby, which is not a bad performance. It's not even a bad movie. But like, did she need a second Oscar for that? Like, no, she didn't. I can say that with with you know confidence. But so I like I get why. I don't think that Annette Benning's Oscar would have been satisfying if it had been for being no, Julia. No, fully not. Absolutely not. But anyway, like it's it's the it's the ins and outs of actress standom is horrifying a lot of ways and bad, but it's it's an interesting little portion of my own personal history because I observed it so closely for so long. Fully, who are you? Who I are you? Who was your who are your, I was. Who are I your would girls? have had allegiance to the Julianne Moore tribe, probably. Yeah. So, like I did. Like I've said before, I didn't really participate. I was more of a lurker because, like, 
even like my social like anxieties, whatever, especially as a teenager, I was like, I can't participate in online chatter. Um, <laughs> like I won't be welcomed. Um, <laughs> whatever. I was a Julianne Moore weirdo. Like imagine I gravitated towards the actress that played depressives mostly. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Like also like, the Julianne Moore people were like the nice people, kind of. Wait, who were the mean ones? <laughs> if we're like describing the tribes, like the Kate ones and the Nicole ones were the meanest ones, right? No, I would say the Annette ones were the meanest. Really? Yeah. Wild. Why? Because they knew that she was only going to get a few more shots at this. <laughs> they were just lashing out. Right to the to that, like they're only going to have more shots because like i guess but uh, and that's the only one of those four who still hasn't won so maybe i see it from you know today's perspective of just sort of like it still hasn't happened for her and the julianne ones the julianne ones were the nice kids the weirdos were the nicole kidmans the mean kids were the annette bennings and then just the loud kids were Kate Blanchett. That was the thing about the Kate Blanchett ones, where they were everywhere. They also seemed to be... They were disproportionately loud. And they were that was sort of the international uh, contingent, too. We're like... <laughs> not to stereotype. I love everybody equally. But, like, the Aussies can be fucking loud and obnoxious. I'm sorry. They just sort of can when they're all head up about, like, some opinion that they have and when the opinion is that you know and nicole of course you know aussie as well but porcelain aussie whereas like kate's a little more scrappy aussie right so well but like the nicole fans would be the one that would like tribute her with a poem <laughs> instead of like all caps <laughs> all, all caps your fave here's why your fave sucks yeah yeah no that was the annette benning fans Oh, okay. They were the ones that would take down the other people. I see. Oh, this is so fascinating. All right. We should move on or else we'll be stuck in this quicksand all day. We will. I want to move on to, like, it wasn't just Kate Blanchett that, like, brought this into some type of Oscar conversation. Um, like, I think when you have a cast like this, it's going to generate that even without, yes. like, a star. Um, and we mentioned Sam Raimi and uh, Billy Bob Thornton, but the one like significant nomination that the gift got was for Giovanni Ribisi in supporting actor at the Indie Spirits, which like this is when the Indie Spirits were a little bit more scrappy. Like you look at his competition, like this is when it's fully a movie you've never heard of because Billy D. Williams was nominated for something called The Visit. Sure. Uh, we like Billy D. Williams a lot. <laughs> Whenever I hear Billy D. Williams, I think of Maya Rudolph as Diana Ross screaming his name. <laughs> in what context? I don't remember that. I remember she played like Diana Ross in uh. jail or something, screaming <laughs> Billy D. Williams. Um, and then you also have Gary Oldman for the contender. Um, uh, Cole Hauser for Tigerland, a movie we've talked about in the context of Colin Farrell, right. and the winner was Willem Dafoe for Shadow of the Vampire. Right, which he ultimately got an Oscar nomination for. He yes. won a bunch of critics awards for that that year too. It's yeah. a great performance, but like it's so it stands in such like sharp Oscar buzz against the Florida Project because it's like yeah. when Shadow of a Vampire was happening, 
it never really felt like he could win for that performance for what that like strange terrifying movie yes. is but like it was like let's celebrate this weird actor that we love when he's weird and like suddenly when the florida project happens it was like that weird actor is super cuddly and heartwarming <laughs> It's what? interesting that Defoe's four four nominations for him, right? It's yes, it is now four. Now four nominations. Three of them, well, Shadow of the Vampire got a makeup nomination, but like essentially three of them, he's basically his film's only nomination. Certainly, yeah. that was true. Florida, Florida Project, and uh, At Eternity's Gate, and all of those were like in stark contrast to his first nomination, which was for, for Platoon, which was like Best Picture winner, bunch of nominations, mm-hmm. like a whole lot of stuff. It kind of just speaks to like what the what kind of actor he is. Let okay, Giovanni Ribisi is the reason we brought this up because he got nominated for the gift. Yes, is that a good performance? That's a great question. <laughs> it's definitely a Giovanni Ribisi performance. It's like if it is a Giovanni Ribisi performance because like a lot of it just kind of blurs together in this Ribisi soup. Like it very much recalls him as Phoebe's brother on friends to yeah. the point where you're like oh this is like his story and it's like oh wait phoebe's brother went through some shit like, yeah i think a lot it it like telegraphs everything yes that is going on with this character's psychosis in a way that is like i think this movie divergent from the movie i think this movie uh accommodates that performance more than most movies would yeah i think sometimes when an actor is going that big, my knee-jerk reaction is to be like, no, stop this. But sometimes an actor going that big is doing like their job, is sort of bringing to the table what most people couldn't do, which is getting to the extreme ends of the rope for a character who is you know, going through it in a way that, like, 90% of people are not. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, like, I sometimes feel like I'm a little bit too quick to be, like, overacting, too hammy or whatever, when it's just, like, sometimes we go to the movies to watch actors go fucking nuts. I guess. <laughs> I don't really want to watch them go that nuts. Um, so this did not work for you? It did not work for me. I think yeah. it is a bad performance. That's fair. But also, I mean, to bring it back to the Ben Foster of it all, I like when Ben Foster goes nuts that way. I love Ben Foster in 310 to Yuma. I really, really like him in... What was that vampire movie he made with... Um, oh, uh, is it 30 Heart Days Met? of Night? 30 Days of Night. I like him in that yeah. movie. Um, so, I don't know. I'm maybe a soft touch. What else do we Hopefully. want to say about this movie? The swank of it all is interesting because this is right after her Oscar win for Boys Don't Cry. And this was like... She takes this tiny role. But also, this was the beginning of that very steep boys post-Boys Don't Cry nosedive where it's like right after Boys Don't Cry. This is the first movie she's that comes out after that. Then it's Affair of the Necklace in 2001. Insomnia, right. which is Christopher Nolan, but it's Christopher Nolan's like middle movie between big successful movies and she did not get good reviews for that at all then the core which i love but like is probably <laughs> objectively a terrible movie but i love it and like that was like and that the core was essentially like 
appropriately enough, like rock bottom. And then like Million Dollar Baby ends up being a comeback only five years after she had won Best Actress because like, I don't, she just couldn't pick her projects. Yeah. The Affair of the Necklace was not a good idea. Whoever was managing her career at the time, like, oh, let's do a French costume drama directed by Nancy Myers' ex-husband. How about that, Hill? How about that, Hillary? Perfect casting. That's a exactly great idea. What we... That's exactly what we need Hillary Swank to be doing. Just like, what the she fuck? She was so quickly typecast as like white trash that <laughs> like the affair of the necklace fully feels like an SNL joke. Yeah. Because it's so. Oh. And I mean, I get like trying to go against type, but like, not that against type. Yeah, what are you doing? Um. I don't know. I guess my final button for this movie is we should have all called Miss Cleo <laughs> and asked her for her Oscar predictions this year. I would not hesitate to put thou in a ditch. We should have asked her when is Kate Blanchett actually going to get nominated and win again. <laughs> and she was like, bet your money on chocolate, honey. <laughs> Lassa Hallstrom, he's going to do it. Oh, yeah, he's the winner. Do you want to uh. get into the IMDb game? Oh my god, yes. Okay, so IMDb game, we play every week. We select actors for each other to guess what the four movies are list- that are listed on their IMDb page for the movies that they are most known for. So, so you bring up their IMDb page, you look at those top four movies, what are they? It's always an odd little uh, algorithm-dictated selection of movies, so we figured we'd make it into a guessing game. We get two wrong answers before we are given hints hints come in the form of the years of the movies we have not guessed yet if we have further failure after that it just becomes a hint of palooza because that's what's fun for us we try to shy away from actors who are in the harry potter or marvel movies because those actors tend to get their known for gunked up with all of those movies and that's less fun and we try we uh make a point to Alert the other when some of these some of these listed roles are either voice performances or television. So, Chris, yeah. what you got? Okay, so what I have for you, one of the reasons that Sam Raimi's The Gift has been lost to time and lost to search engine optimization is there mm. was a r- different movie entitled The Gift that came out since, directed by Joel Edgerton. Joseph. Ooh. Your IMDb game is Joel Edgerton. Ooh. The Gift by Joel Edgerton is a really good movie. I haven't seen it. It's unsettling. It's definitely unsettling. Rebecca Hall, too. And it also... You <laughs> like Rebecca Hall. That, that, The Gift, is an essential text in the Jason Bateman is a bad guy uh, cinematic universe, which I feel like we're all maybe a lot more... It comes comes at us a lot oh, easier yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Joel Edgerton. So Joel Edgerton's interesting because he breaks through in Animal Kingdom and then very soon he's in like a lot of things, like a very lot of things and like too many to keep track of initially. Um, And they're not all good. I uh, and one of them is a Netflix movie. All right, um, Black Mass. 
Black Mass, yes. Okay. Oh, that's a terrible fucking movie. And he is not good in it. No, he's terrible in it. Um, Is Animal Kingdom one of them? No, it is not. Damn it. He's great in that. That movie Animal is very interesting because movie. Jackie Weaver gets the Oscar nomination, but also it launches Joel Edgerton and Ben Mendelsohn into American sort of movie fandom or whatever stardom, and it's very worth it for that. Okay. Um, Bright? So you have one wrong, one yes. Bright is one of them? Bright? No. All right. So you're going to get years now because you have yeah. two wrong guesses. Yeah. We're looking at 2015, 2013, and 2016. Okay. Is The Gift one of them? The Gift is one of them. Okay. That's 2015. So you're looking for 2013 and 2016. Right. Okay. 2016. 2013. Uh, is 2016 loving? 2016 is loving. Okay. Loving my nomination for the blank check putters and murmurs award for that year. Yeah. was, uh, he's very, very mumbly in that movie. Joel Edgerton is like captain putters and murmurs. <laughs> yeah. 2013. So animal kingdom was 2010. So this was still decently early in. I'll help you out in saying that well, maybe this isn't helping you out. He's definitely not one of the things you remember for yeah, this movie. Yeah, that's what I figured. Is it a big cast? Um, Relatively speaking, yes. Yeah. The poster I'm looking at has six people on it. Is it Place Beyond the Pines? It is not Place Beyond the Pines. Is it he even is... in that movie? I don't think he is, right? Um, I don't know. No? Feels like he should be, right? Yeah. Um, uh, I would venture to guess this is the only time that Joel Edgerton has been seen in 3D. In 3D? Oh, God, so many things are in 3D these days. This was very different. A different kind of movie to be in 3D. Oh. Um. Ugh, I feel like I'm right around the edges of it. Famous director. It's a major adaptation. Oh, God. Action? Uh, Sci-fi? No. no. It, he's fourth build on the poster. First of which was somebody who the internet was very adamant about getting an Oscar. Oh. And it happened uh, like four four or five years after this movie. Oh. Launched one of our favorite, well, two of our favorite young actresses. Didn't really launch one of them. Features the other one. What is going on with this movie? Wait, so it it, it headlined by an actor who would end up winning an Oscar in three or four years. Yes. Not Casey fucking Affleck. Multiple Oscar winner, I believe. At least won one Oscar. I'm pulling it up now. In 2013? Yes. Two Oscars. Boy. What was going on there? But I... nothing in, like, acting or anything like that. Nope. These were both below the line for 
someone who had previously won Oscars for this same director who might have another <laughs> connection to this director. It's very crucial. Are you? Is this just like, are we describing Sandy Powell? What's going on? What's happening here? It's not Sandy Powell. <laughs> Wait. Um, <laughs> should I just give it to you? Yes. You're going to be very angry. Yeah, I probably will be. It's The Great Gatsby. Oh, I've a movie I have uh, fully forgotten. Fully forgotten. Fully forgotten. It was only two years later that Leo, you had me, you had me overshooting the, the uh, when also starring Carrie Mulligan helped launch the incredible Elizabeth Debicki. Yeah, yeah, definitely launched Elizabeth Debicki. That was definitely the first thing I saw her in. Yeah, fully forgot. I continuously forget that the that the Great Gatsby existed, but yeah, he was definitely the bad guy in that. All right. Joel Edgerton. His IMDb game deserves better. He's been he's got better performances than that. Okay, so I went the Sam Raimi route and I followed the line of his non as I mentioned, he only has a handful of movies that he's directed that are not Spider-Man movies and are not Evil Dead movies. So you've got um The Quick and the Dead, A Simple Plan for Love of the Game, which to me is the weirdest fit in his filmography and then his most recent movie has not directed a movie since 2013's oz the great and powerful which starred oh. i mean talk about a collection of talent put to waste oscar winner rachel vice multiple oscar nominee michelle williams and as the third wicked witch on the ballot or on the what on the cast list Mila Kunis playing Theodora, who ends up becoming the Wicked Witch of the West. Spoiler, now you don't have to see Oz the Great and Powerful, because it's not good. Because it's terrible. Why would you? But anymore. I'm going to give you Mila Kunis to do the known for. No TV. No TV. No that 70s show. Okay. Black Swan. Yes. Bad Bombs. Yes. Um, she, she came so close to an Oscar nomination for Black Swan. She did, which I don't fully understand, but she shall made it. <laughs> or I guess I guess Tim, I guess Timmy Kunist it this year. That's and they both like the they, example of like you this is happening to you cuz it's the right person at the right time because like Black Swan also has like with maybe a tiny bit less screen time Winona Ryder being like crazy and brilliant. Well, and, and like, Barbara Hershey. Barbara Hershey. Um, okay, so back to Mila Kunis. Um, the the same Natalie Portman also had the same movie, but this was the Justin Timberlake one. I never remember the title. Is it Friends with Benefits? It is. Uh, well, you're wrong. It's not one of her four, but I think oh. the title of it is Friends with Benefits. Yes, I never make the Black Swan connection in that. That both of those actresses yeah. had those two uh, fuck buddy movies. It's because the Natalie Portman one came out like during the Oscar during the Oscar campaign. Which one do you one. like better? Which is your pref? Which is your? Preferred? I've never seen the Mila Kunis one, but the I've Mila heard Kunis that one is funny in the moment. I really, really, really prefer. I actually think the Natalie Portman one is not that bad, mostly because it's the cast of that movie is insane. Yeah, it's so good. Like once you get past Ashton Kusher, which is like. Mindy Kaling, Greta Gerwig, Guy Branham. Like, it's genuinely super well cast. 
Um, I'm trying to think of more Mila Kunis. I feel like that 70s show is like a thing that is like a TV show that was on for forever and fully doesn't exist. So I shouldn't have even asked. Um, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yes. I wouldn't have thought so, but which I think was a big, big, big movie in terms of like make putting setting her to the next level of casting, right? Like I don't think she's the lead in that in Bad Moms without forgetting Sarah Marshall. Yeah. Um. All right, so we've got one left. It could have also been Family Guy. Is Ted the other one? No. So now you got two strikes. So now you get a year. Your missing year is 2015. 2015. Which means more to me than it does to you because it I I it I saw it on a very no, momentous day in my life. 2015 is an easy year to remember. So that's uh, that'd be before Bad Moms. Yep. Is it Jupiter Ascending? It's Jupiter Ascending. So stupid. Jupiter Ascending, I the movie I saw. But Eddie Redmayne's. I saw that movie the day I got fired, and I will always remember it for that very reason. <laughs> Ugh. Yes. Well done. As always, you are better than me at the IMDb game. Well, I mean, I don't know. I gave you a little bit of a difficult one. because Mila Joel Kunis is known for... In a soup. Yeah. One of Mila Kunis is known for should be that interview she did with that uh, uh, young junket reporter who ends up the one from like britain or whatever who ends up just like talking to her about his like mates back in bristol or whatever and she's just like she's like no fuck your questions about oz the great and powerful tell me more about this this is much more interesting (laughs) it's a great interview oz the great and powerful is not on her known for though yeah me too oh yeah what a nightmare yeah what a nightmare that we should have seen in clairvoyance a nightmare (laughs) like Kate Blanchett has about several different like disfigured dead Katie Holmes. Um, but I guess on that note, that's our episode. That's it. Uh, if you want more of this head Oscar buzz, you can check out our Tumblr at this head Oscar buzz.tumblr.com. You should also follow our Twitter account at had underscore Oscar underscore buzz. Joe, tell our listeners where they can find you and your stuff. Well, I'm on Twitter at Joe Reed. Reed is spelled R-E-I-D. I am also on Letterboxd, which I promise I will get to eventually. I've really been letting it slack. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm there as Joe Reed on that as well. Reed is still spelled R-E-I-D. And I'm Chris File. You can find me on Twitter at Chris V File. That's F E I L. Also on Letterboxd as well. I keep a running list of all of our This Head Oscar Buzz titles that have IMDb game stats and direct links to all episodes. You can also find me on thefilmexperience.net. Um, we would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and get Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Mevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review us, and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and wherever else you get your podcasts five-star review in particular really helps us out with itunes visibility so make us float to the top of the itunes charts like katie holmes ghost at the top of kate blanchett's willow tree that's all for this week and we hope you come back next week for more buzz bye bye i realize i spelled my name with the same inflection that goldie hahn says 12 years a slave <laughs> which one someday somebody will find that for me that clip from the 2013 oscars 12 years a slave a slave it's so she's so delighted by it uh, all right <laughs> <laughs> she's presenting 12 years a slave <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
Why would you? Why would you have her present that? Why? Why, Chief Will? Everyone's okay.